grab your Bible to um, a couple of chapters. We're going to just continue right on along tonight in our We Believe series. Hope you've been enjoying that. And uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of things tonight. But I want you to turn your Bible to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel 24. Then we're going to hold it in the book of Acts for a little while tonight. Uh, specifically Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And, uh, of course, there are a lot of other things in there tonight. We're going to look at these. We're going to combine two of our truths tonight because they are inseparable. They go together. And so you've already looked at baptism and communion. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with tongues. Okay, This is one of our doctrinal truths, one of our distinct truths. It makes us who we are. So Luke 24, let's look at verse 49 together. Luke 24 Verse 49, it reads like this, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now I want you to turn over in your Bible tonight to uh, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And these words are recorded. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then I want to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And uh, this is a very familiar passage, but let's read it one more time. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. I just give you glory. I give you praise. And tonight, I pray, Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to understand. Lord, make this truth to those who are new to it simple. And Lord, may it make this truth to those who have heard it time and time again fresh. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to say... Uh, as always, good evening, everybody, and I pray that you've been enjoying studying the doctrinal truths of the church. I've been in conversation with uh, several, several uh, friends of mine that I know. Um, I've got some friends that are in the, uh, in the IPHC denomination, which is the International Pentecostal Holiness, um, and then the Church of God, uh, and then along with some of our Assemblies of God brothers and sisters, and there's one thing that all of us have agreed on we've been talking about this over the last couple of months it is the fact that uh, in today's culture uh, doctrine is something that has seemed to be fallen by the wayside we have some of the greatest communicators in the body of Christ today but many of them the message is extremely shallow we need more than inspiration amen we need more than inspiration we need revelation and we need knowledge and doctrine has become a curse word in many circles. It's, well, we don't want to hear about all that. We want you to tell us how to do this and how to do that. But tonight, let me tell you something, that doctrine is vitally important in the church. It, you not only need to know what you believe, but you need to know how to defend what you believe from Scripture. You say, well, I don't really need to do that, Pastor. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says we ought to always be ready to give an account to the hope that's in us. And so tonight, we are going to just dive right into 
one of our fundamental doctrines of the assemblies of God. And, and again, I want to reiterate this point as I have a time and time before. We don't believe this because the assemblies of God say we need to believe this. We believe this because it's what the Bible teaches. And I choose to hook up with the assemblies of God because I agree with our doctrinal statement and what we do for missions around the world. But I'm going to tell you something. These truths that we're going to study tonight, they are uh, uh, inspired by God. We're going to dig into this deeply in the scripture tonight. And so we're going to walk away and hopefully any of you that have any questions about these subjects, you'll walk away with some clarity in your mind. But tonight I want to talk to you about one of our four cardinal doctrines, our distinct doctrine. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is our uh, fundamental truth number seven. And then its pair is fundamental truth number eight. It is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So allow me tonight to read these two truths as stated, and then let's get into the word. Uh, fundamental truth number seven says this. All believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the normal experience of all in the early Christian church, and with it comes the endowment of power for life and service, the bestowment of spiritual gifts and their use in the work of ministry. This event is distinct and subsequent to the new birth. Somebody say amen. Number eight reads like this. The baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them the utterance. The speaking in tongues in this instance is the same in essence as the gift of tongues, but is different in its purpose and use. Tonight, we're going to be talking about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know, I don't want to poll the room tonight. I'm sure I've talked to many of you uh, in here tonight, especially those of you who are new, about some of the backgrounds that you've come out of. And of course, the Assemblies of God in its conception was birthed by people from different backgrounds because at, at one time and another, the Assemblies of God didn't exist. We came out of the Azusa Street Revival, and uh, which that revival led to the Baptist and Presbyterian and the Methodist, different people of that nature, came to Azusa Street and they received this baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, and they took that back to their churches and they were not excited like they were. Many of them received the left foot of fellowship and they had no church to associate with. Many of them went as far to say that they had been possessed of the devil and, and that, that this was not of God to which I heard one guy say, somebody said that speaking in tongues is of the devil. He said, well, I've been in a lot of bars when I was in the world and I never heard them speak in tongues. The only place I ever heard them speak in tongues was in church. Amen. So let me tell you, uh, if, if speaking in tongues is of the devil, man, he don't know what he's doing. Praise the Lord. But uh, these people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, went back to their home places, were kicked out. They formed our fellowship that we're a part of today, the Assemblies of God, and uh, chose to, to rally around this doctrinal statement and take the gospel around the world, the fun missionaries. So it was great, 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 great. Just an amazing, amazing fellowship. And so, tonight, I want to look at this doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit because some of you have not come from this background. Some of you, if I were to ask you about your experience, the first time you ever uh, 
fellowshiped or went to a quote-unquote spirit-filled or Pentecostal church, if I were to ask you about the first time you ever heard somebody speak in tongues or raise their hands or clap or shout or whatever, amen, you would, you would probably tell me, Pastor, that was crazy. Scared me half to death. Amen. Well, let me tell you, you don't have to worry about that in a lot of our churches today. If somebody died, the ambulance workers would have to climb over four pews to find the right person. Come on, somebody. We need the fire of God again. We need the power of the Holy Ghost to, to, to put some shout in our voice and some dance in our feet and some clap in our hands. And um, we, we understand that we don't want to be Pentecostal just in theology only, but in experience. But, you know, one thing that I've talked to, to everybody who's come from a different background, even though it might have startled them a little bit, they always come back and say, I cannot negate what I felt. I felt the presence of God. And what I found out is, is if you hang around the fire long enough, you'll eventually get set ablaze. Amen. And so... Tonight I want to talk about this spiritual experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before we jump into it too much, I want to pull up a scripture, and uh, it's Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, um, these were not originally in my notes, and so I asked them to throw those up on the screen tonight. But Hebrews chapter 6 um, gives us um, some interesting wordage here. Look at it with me. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles, let us go on to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now look at what he says here. And of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now leave that scripture up right there for just a second. Verse number two. What do you notice about the word baptisms? It's plural. Now if you ask most people in Christendom today, what do you know about baptism? What is baptism? I, I can almost promise you, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I can almost promise you nine out of ten people would say water baptism. Water baptism is important. It's a showing forth of our faith. It is identifying with Christ and his priesthood. It's very important. But uh, the scripture, the Hebrews writer says right here that the doctrine of baptisms, plural, is an elementary principle of Christ. In other words, it is foundational to our faith. So here's what I want to tell you. There are three main baptisms that we find in Scripture. The first one happens when we are born again, when we're saved. The book of Romans says this, by one spirit have we been baptized into one body. What does that mean? That means that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit, okay, he's the one who draws us to Christ. He's the one who convicts us. He's the one who brings us out of darkness and into light. The Holy Spirit takes our little sad, sinful self and picks us up and places us, submerges us into the body of Christ. Who does that work? The Holy Spirit. Then after we're saved, right? We're following Christ. We want to follow him. We want to follow his example. We get over to Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus told his disciples. He said, he said, uh, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And he tells them, he says, you need to baptize people, baptize disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, you know, John went out as a forerunner. He was baptizing people. 
And so that baptism is done by a person. A person puts us into the water. It's a, maybe a minister. It could be a, whoever led you to Christ. It could be a, a multiple number of people. It was the disciples that were giving the charge to baptize in water. So they, they would baptize, okay? So that is the a human element of a visual showing of immersion. Baptism means submersion, immersion. It means to be completely covered from head to toe, right? In the book of Acts, whenever Philip uh, uh, was caught up, and the deacon Philip, and he was caught up into the wilderness, and he found the, the uh, Ethiopian, rather, uh, the eunuch at the chariot, and uh, he was reading, and the Bible says that he, he told him about Jesus and said, who can forbid this man water to be baptized, right? Remember that scripture, the book of Acts? The Bible says that they went down into the water, and then they came up out of the water, right? They went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody's religious tradition, but uh, baptism by Scripture is not sprinkling. You can't come up out of a Dixie cup. Amen. <laughs> you got to get wet. It's immersion. It's all the way. It's submerged. So baptism is, is submersion. But then there's this other characteristic of baptism that John the Baptist talked about. John the Baptist was called the Baptist because he was the baptizer. That's what he did. And so in Luke's gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, here's what John said. As holy as a man John was, John said, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie his latches. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what he said. So uh, and when you read the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, there's this great outpouring. It says, and they all began to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And, of course, you got Peter. He's a central focus aside from the work of the Holy Spirit because Peter was the one who denied Christ. He was the one who said, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll never leave you and whatever. And then he ended up, you know, uh, you know, denying him three times. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then Peter's the one preaching uh, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is found around Acts chapter 2 verse 30-ish. It says, this Jesus whom you crucified, he poured this out. Here's what the scripture teaches. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the work of Christ in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit brings you to Christ, a minister baptizes you in water, and Jesus himself does the work of empowering us in the Holy Spirit. That's why Hebrews says it's the doctrine of baptisms, plural. I hope you're following me. And so tonight, I want to look at this doctrine to show you um, some very vital importances. So if you're taking notes, number one, write this down. I want to look at the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. Now, don't miss this. It goes back to our passage in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Let me give you the context here. Jesus is getting ready. You know, he's already showed himself alive to his disciples. And, and uh, he's, you know getting ready to, to, to pour out the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says after the resurrection, he showed himself alive. 
And he went to them, he appeared to them, he gave them some instructions. And he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my father. Now, this promise was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to understand New Testament versus Old Testament reality. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never came to live on the inside of anybody. He came temporarily to anoint people for service. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Isaiah. Now, that, this does not mean they were not godly men. But in that dispensation of time, the Holy Spirit did not come to live on the inside of them in a sense of permanence like he does us. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, I have to go. He's like, I've got to fulfill the mandate of dying on the cross. I mean, he, he had to do it. It was his purpose for living was to be crucified, to be the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth. And, of course, Peter, being the bright one of the bunch, is saying, Lord, no, 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 don't do that. Don't suffer it to be so. And he's rebuked by Jesus. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for the, you don't mind the things of men, but of, or the things of God, but of men. Peter was thinking carnally. And so what happens is Jesus tells them, he said, I've got to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he will be just like me. He said, but he will not just be with you. He shall also be in you. That's what he said. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Um, he, he said he will convict the world of sin and of, and of righteousness and of judgment. And, and he begins to tell us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so then Jesus, right, Jesus appears back into heaven. This is found in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says that it, uh, two angels in bright apparel uh, appeared to them and said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? Because you've got to understand, Jesus was talking to them, and then poof, he was back into heaven. He said, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? He said, uh, this same Jesus whom you've seen go... He will also come in like manner. <laughs> and he said, but you know, he began to ask, but Lord, when are you going to restore the, the, the kingdom of Israel and all those things? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, which the Father has in his own power. This is what some of Jesus' last words before he got caught up and those angels addressed these men and asked them what they were looking at. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time and seasons, which the Father has in his own power. He says, but you... You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Then it picks us back up into Acts chapter 2. It was the day of Pentecost. It was the feast. Pentecost is one of the feasts of Israel. And so they came to Jerusalem, all those who lived in the area. They brought their offerings of their harvest. They're worshiping God. But yet these 120 people are in the upper room seeking the promise of the Father. Picks us up into Acts chapter 2. It says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, what you've got to understand is that this particular day was a set day on God's calendar. It was pre-planned from the foundation of the earth. It was a kairos moment. That, that is a set time God had established it. When it was fully come, 
They were all in one place in one accord. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing of a mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Tonight we're looking at the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand he called this outpouring of the Holy Spirit the promise. Jesus said, you need to wait for the promise. It's important for you to wait on this promise. I love um, the book of Acts. Turn over there with me tonight to chapter 2. And it's going to be very difficult to get through all of this because it's, it's so meaty. But I want you to look at Acts, the second chapter. And... I want you to look at verse number 38 with me. And let's read this together. It says, and then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And notice this. For, and you shall receive the gift. Everybody say gift. It's important for you to understand that this empowerment of the Spirit is a gift. He says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then notice how the Holy Spirit inscribes these words for the promise is to you wow the promise is to you you say well pastor brad i don't know if the promise is to me he said the promise is to you now if you're not paying attention he goes a little bit further he said not only is to the promise to you but it's to your children you know the, the promise of the holy spirit is for your children in fact god wants to pour out his spirit on his sons and daughters right so look he says so the promise is unto you he says and to your children and then for those of you who still think it's not for you he he fills in that blank as well notice what he says and to all who are afar off as many as the lord our god will call that means if you've if the lord's called your name and you've answered the call of salvation this gift is for you peter's telling them the gift of the holy spirit is for every Body. it's the promise and I want you to know something this promise is still valid today the promise of the Holy Spirit is still valid today now moving on I want to look at number two we see the promise of the Spirit but number two I want to look at the purpose of the Spirit the purpose of the Spirit's baptism his power in our life that is actually found in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and I don't want to be redundant by keep reading these over and over but I want you to notice what he says. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our life is to be a witness to the resurrection of Christ and to be a proclaimer of the gospel. That's the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Now, this is scripture. The Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives, just like the Holy Spirit's purpose in the Old Testament when he came upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, gave him strength. The Holy Spirit came upon David, allowed him to play his harp. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul, he fell among the prophets, and the Lord allowed him to prophesy. The Holy Spirit came upon Isaiah and Ezekiel and allowed them to speak the word of the Lord and write the scroll. 
the Holy Spirit came upon them for service. And it's no different today. The power of the Holy Spirit in our life is to enable us to be a bold proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boldness to be a witness. Jerusalem, that's where they were. Judea, that was the wilderness right outside of Jerusalem. Samaria, that was the place that nobody wanted to go. And then the uttermost parts of the world, which you could say it like this, in those days, it was the unknown, unfounded world. Because you know, Columbus didn't come along much later, amen? It's amazing that the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life is to give us power. Don't, don't, get me, don't get me started. The purpose of the Spirit is not so we can have more hype church services. The purpose of the baptism of the Spirit is not so that you can speak in tongues, although that, that comes with the package. We're going to see that in a minute. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can have goosebumps. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is to empower you to witness your faith to other people. Amen. The, the Holy Spirit, when He comes upon a person, He changes them. The Bible, you know, Saul was a he was anointed king. Uh, you know, he wore the crown. He lost his position. God anointed David. But there was a time where, where the transition had not happened yet. And Saul technically was still in space. And so he wasn't a good person, but God still used him in his position from time to time. And the Bible says that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, he was changed into a different man. You know why? Because the anointing of God and the presence of God changes you. You say, that's Old Testament. That's true. Peter was a coward before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was a loudmouth coward who was a fisherman. He was a little rough around the edges, and a little girl recognized him. She said, hey, aren't you the guy that's got the Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your boat? You sound like one of them Jesus people. Come on now, I'm using liberty. Don't you have the Caleb uh, t-shirt on? Aren't you one of those Christian people? And he said, I don't even know the man. You back people in a corner, you really find out what's in them. But Jesus chose Peter, and he didn't give up on him. When Jesus resurrected, Peter went, you know, after the crucifixion, Peter felt bad about what he did. He went back fishing. Jesus appeared to the disciples, and uh, he hollers out from the other side because the Bible said they had been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. That is a terrible testimony for professional fishermen. Jesus is just a comic, in my opinion, because he says, Have you got any meat? He knew the answer. Lord, we've been toiling all night. We had not caught anything. We'll cast your net on the other side. And Peter looked out and he says, it's the Lord. <laughs> Hello. He had a revelation. Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he went from a coward. On the day of Pentecost, he preached the gospel of Christ. 3,000 people got saved plus women and children. And they were water baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Even got a couple of books in the New Testament that bear his name. Amen. He was changed into another person. Let me tell you something. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it will change you. You know, I always get hesitant when I say this, but it's the truth. I, 
I'll say it in King James because it, it sounds better, right? Sounds more holy. I careth not how much if you speak in tongues if. If you don't tell anybody about Jesus in English if. Because the purpose of spirit empowerment is to empower your tongue to proclaim. Amen. Tell you what. The spirit-filled folks ought to be the biggest soul winners. Ought to be the biggest soul winners. Because we're the ones who claim to have spirit empowerment. Now I would challenge all of us in this room tonight, myself included, to look at your soul winning record lately. Amen. The purpose of the Spirit is empowerment. Now, it gives us bold witness. Now, here's the third thing. I want to get into this, and this is, this is going to encourage you. The third thing, I want to look at the sign of the Spirit. The sign of the Spirit. Most people that I talk to who are new to this full gospel experience, uh, many of them, they get, they get hung up on the, the tongues. They say, I have never, I've been in church my whole life, I've never heard this. I had a Church of Christ brother one time, years and years ago, who I worked with at a plant. He said, my, my church never talked about this. And I said, well, they skipped around the Bible a lot. Because it's in there. You say, well, Jesus never talked about it. Yes, he did. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 16. Let's, let's see what Jesus said. He said, he said to them, who is he? Jesus. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Look at this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Who said that? Jesus said it. Now, people say, well, you know, I don't want any of that stuff. Well, Jesus said it's empowerment. Then he said, go, go further. It says, uh, they will take up serpents. Now, that, that's not an allusion to snake handling. Amen. You know how I know? Because the Bible says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know what he's talking about with the serpents deal? Read, read the account of Paul when he was shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta. And a snake bit him while he was trying to serve the Lord in missionary work. And they all looked at him and thought he was going to die. But Paul shook it off in the fire. And he wasn't killed. He says they will, uh, he'll, they'll drink any deadly thing. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they'll recover. Who said that? Jesus did. Jesus said it. He said, he said the empowerment of the Spirit. My people are going to have these signs that follow them, that believe in my name. He didn't say the Pope, the Bishop, the Apostle, the Prophet, the Presbyter, the General Superintendent. He said believers would have these signs that would follow them. So we see that, but we say, okay, well, what else we got, Pastor? Well, in Acts chapter 2, right, verse number 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? They began to speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance, Okay. You say, well, that's the only time. No, it's not. Look in Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Let me give you the context. Peter's down at Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a, is a, 
of the Italian regime. He's preaching to them. The Bible says that as he preached, the Bible says as he spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them who heard. So he didn't lay hands on anybody or anything. He's just simply preaching the word of God, the gospel. Because you've got to understand, there was a great part of this particular era where the gospel was closed to just a certain group of people. But Pentecost opened the gospel up to everybody. The Bible says that Peter spoke, as, and as he spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and heard. And it says, how did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. How did they know the Holy Spirit fell upon them? They heard them speak with tongues. Now, the law first mentioned is a, a law of biblical interpretation. If you want to know the author's intended um, thought about something in Scripture, go the first time it mentions it and follow it forward. The first time the baptism of the Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts it is accompanied with the initial outward sign of speaking with new tongues. Okay, So it's followed up in Acts chapter 10, verse 46. You say, well, that, that, that's two. What, is there any more, Pastor? There are. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He's passing through the upper coast of Ephesus. He finds some disciples of John. He asked them, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? And they said, we've not even heard that there be a Holy Spirit. Now let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, is it there? It goes on to say, and he laid his hands on them, and they began to speak in tongues, and they prophesied. Now, we have this instance. You say, is there any more? There are. There are two other passages where there are some inferences. The first one that I would call your attention to is Acts chapter 8. It's not on the screen tonight. For the sake of time, I'll read it to you. It's the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul um, is persecuting the church. All of a sudden, a light shines down out of heaven. Paul falls down to the ground. He says, um, um, you know, the, the Bible says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, uh, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Now, at the meantime, Paul has got his poster at the at his most wanted poster if you will at the post office at the first Jerusalem post office he's a bad guy nobody wanted to come mess with Paul if you saw Paul he was coming to your house to kill you dragging the women and children out putting them in prison or persecuting them to the point of death that's what kind of fellow we were, were talking about so the Lord speaks to Ananias a different Ananias than the Ananias and Sapphira, obviously, but a different Ananias and speaks to him and says, I want you to go talk to Paul, uh, my servant, whom I'm going to use greatly. He calls him Brother Saul. And he says, when you get to him, I want you to lay your hands on him that he might receive his sight because he was temporarily blinded by the light of glory that he saw on the road. He said, I want you to lay hands on him that he might receive his sight and that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read Acts chapter 8 closely, you're about to have an I got you moment. Because it doesn't say that Paul spoke with tongues. People are like, aha, I got you. Until you get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, where Paul is describing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. 
That's what Paul said. So let me tell you, speaking in tongues is not weird. It's normal. The early church were spirit-empowered people. Okay? All of them. In fact, that's why Paul asked them in Acts 19, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Because it was expected for people to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So, as we're looking at this, we need to understand that there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't want to get into all of those, but there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are only two of those gifts that you cannot find in the Old Testament. You could find prophecy, discerning the spirits, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of faith, working miracles, healings. You could find seven of those in the Old Testament. There were two that you could not find. Tongues and the interpretation of such. Those were two distinct New Testament gifts that did not come on the scene until the day of Pentecost. In fact, when Jesus talked about it in Mark 16, he was prophesying about the future outpouring of the Spirit because tongues didn't happen until Pentecost. So, as we're looking at that, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why did God choose tongues as a sign of Spirit baptism? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, he chose tongues as a sign because the purpose of the Spirit's empowerment in your life is to anoint your tongue. Hello. Amen. It's to anoint your tongue. And you say, why is it other tongues? Why does the Lord uh, enable us to speak a language that we hadn't learned? Well, the reason for that is because the gospel has been opened up to every tribe, every nation, every nation, and every tongue. It was a sign that the tongues of the world would receive the gospel. That's the primary reason. The second, secondary reason is found in the book of James, chapter 1 and chapter 2. James says that the tongue, though it's a little member, it boasts of a great fire. And the tongue sets ablaze the course of the fires of hell. Do you know your tongue can start a fire? Here's what he says. He says, men can tame animals and beasts of any size. Put their bits in a horse's mouth. You can tell it to turn left, it'll turn left. Tell it to turn right, it'll turn right. I've seen 90-pound girls tell 800-pound horses what to do. He said, you can do it, you can tame it. He said, but no man can tame the tongue. But listen to me. When you yield yourself to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God takes that little unruly thing in your mouth and uses it for His glory. It's the sign of the Spirit. It's, it's a sign of God's empowerment. But there are a couple things that I want to I leave you with tonight. The first one is this in our conclusion. I'm getting ready to close. First one is this. Number one, this experience is a gift. There are people who say, well, I'm not holy enough to receive that. But listen, it's like this. The qualification for spirit empowerment is being saved. You know there's not like degrees of saved, right? You know that? There's some people think there is. Like I'm saved and then I'm really saved. Like, no, it's not like pregnancy, right? 
You got trimesters in pregnancy, right? But no, the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, you're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. The Holy Spirit comes in our life. He empowers us to live a godly life. Doesn't equal perfection. That's point number two. This is a gift. The second thing is this experience does not equal perfection. There's some people who teach you got to be totally sanctified to receive this. Well, the book of Corinthians proves that's not true. The third thing, that this spiritual experience is not a sign of maturity. Let me be honest with you. Some of the meanest people I have ever met speak in tongues. You say, oh, Pastor. Paul dealt a whole chapter of it. The chapter everybody likes to put on their Hallmark card, you know? The love chapter. Wrong kind of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Here's what Paul said. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and yet I do not have love, I'm like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. You know, let me give you my interpretation of that. If you don't have love, it's like taking a big old tin wash pan and just beating the mess out of it. Nobody wants to hear that. The, the motivation behind it's not pure. So being empowered by the Holy Spirit doesn't make you perfect and it doesn't mean you're mature. It's just simply God's equipment for the believer in the world in which we currently live. It is His purpose and His intent for every single believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm closing. I said that a few minutes ago. This is the real one, okay? All right. told you, this is real hard to get through. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is a gift. You say, Pastor, how do I receive that? Well, you simply just, you ask for it. You say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want every single thing that you have for me. Now, the problem is, a lot of people struggle and they wrestle because they're focused on the tongues. In fact, I've seen people come to the altar and I say, hey, what, what can I pray with you? I want to speak in tongues. That's the wrong motive. The Bible doesn't say, come seek to speak in tongues. He says, come seek power. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when you buy a pair of tennis shoes, the little tongues come with the shoe. Amen? You don't buy them separate. It comes with the package. It's a byproduct. It's the initial physical evidence. I want you to notice it's not the only evidence. There ought to be some other evidences that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Like love. Like praying for the sick. Like witnessing to the lost. Like giving to missions because you love the world. There are some evidences in your life that ought to be that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, but that initial experience evidence that's ongoing is speaking with new tongues. That's what the Scripture teaches us. Now, next week I may elaborate on this a little bit, but for the sake of time tonight, I'll close. So close your Bible. That means you're in a safe place. Amen. And let me just encourage you with this. You can stand. There are many ways to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I have been unconventional in every single aspect of my spiritual life. I didn't get saved at church. I got saved at home. I didn't get called in the ministry at a youth camp. I got called in the ministry at home. 
I didn't get baptized in the altar crying all night at 2 a.m. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 8.30 in the morning, getting ready for school one day. My experience has been totally different than most people. But here's what I know. If a heart is hungry, the Holy Spirit will pour himself out. I can't claim other people's experiences. Here's what happened to me. I was at a youth service one night. The youth pastor preached a great message on the power of the Holy Spirit. He called all the students up, laid hands on them, and they were dropping and, and praying and shaking and speaking in tongues and all this stuff. And he got to me and he prayed for me and nothing happened. I felt something, but nothing happened. I got home. I got to thinking about it. Couldn't sleep that much that night. The next morning, I got up in the shower and I began to talk to Jesus. I said, Jesus, your word says this, and I want to receive what you have. And, I, and all I know is there was a second in time, a moment in time, where I lost my English and I just started speaking in a language I never learned before. Exactly how it happened. Nobody was there. Now, the Lord knows I'm skeptical in some areas. I'm very analytical. So had I had somebody shouting in my ear, say Jesus, say Jesus, I probably would have doubted my experience. If I would have had somebody saying, hold on, hold on, turn loose, turn loose, I probably would have got overwhelmed. But the Holy Spirit met me right where I was because I was hungry. The Bible says, all who are hungry and thirsty shall be filled. Here's what I close with this statement, and then we're going to pray. If you're hungry for the Holy Spirit's power in your life, just ask Him. The Bible says, if you ask Him for, for a fish, if any father among you asks his son, ask his father for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He said, likewise, the Father give the Holy Spirit to his children who ask. All you got to do is ask him. If you've not been touched in a long time by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can ask the Lord, Lord, refill me. Refill me. Fall fresh on me. And he will every single time. Let me pray for you tonight. After we get dismissed, uh, I've got a meeting to go to in just a second, our, one of our, our board meetings for tonight. But if you need prayer, if you want me to pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'll be glad to. There's other people here that will pray with you. But uh, I want to pray with you tonight. But let's